All right. Um, I already got one comment on my title. The title of my sermon today is Partners, Pets, and Preborns <laughs> in relation to heaven. Yeah, you like that, Wes? Um, yeah, Jay came up to me and said he, he'd never seen that before. So. And, and, and it really just comes from your questions that you gave me. And I'm going to continue on that. There's a few more pretty juicy questions. Some are not answerable. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with that for the rest of the series because I want to answer your questions about heaven. And, and these are really some of the big three. You know, are we gonna, am, am, am I going to be stuck with my spouse for all of you? I mean, am, am I going to be married in heaven? Um, what about my pets? I was hoping Dale was going to be here this morning. I talked to him this week, and he's doing better. He's lost a ton of weight. I was really hoping he'd be here for the pets part, but hopefully he's listening. Um, and then what about, what about preborns and babies um, and, and people that never, that are, are so mentally deficient that, that, that you know, what, what, do, what do we do with that? And um, some of that may surprise you, and, 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 and there's room for debate on some of this. But let me, let me just share with you what I, what I think God's word is saying. And I'm going to give you a heads up. The reason there's no scripture, oh, there is Isaiah 11. Go ahead and get Isaiah 11 ready. We're going to be all over the place today, obviously, because of the three uh, questions we're going to try to answer. Um, so, I got good news for you. Heaven's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be way more than, than, than what you imagine it's going to be, and God is going to be good. Um, what it really is, it, it's... And I think we need to understand it in these terms. It's a reuniting of realms. The kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven are going to finally be one. Kingdom of, kingdom of heaven will finally overcome the kingdom of earth. It's going to be the resurrection of the dead. And that's huge. And there's going to be a sermon in here, this series somewhere. Is, why is it so important that we resurrect from the dead? Because all of creation is tied to us. And that's because God made it that way. Uh, we're going to be looking at the redemption of creation that is tied to the resurrection of the saints. And the reunion of people. How many of you are looking forward to seeing some folks uh, in, in heaven? Absolutely. Um, and as people look forward to heaven, and hopefully you do, you, you wonder, don't you? You wonder about what, what was heavenly in this life. Isn't that how we kind of, and it's because this life's all we got right now. You with me? And I think as we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, existence in eternity what that kingdom of heaven is going to look like we only have our context right and we think about what is heaven what is it that you love about living here today i'll tell you what i love grandchildren i mean i love i went back there and i i, I had to give peter a kiss this morning and just smell that new baby that new baby smell it's like the fountain of youth isn't it <laughs> I love that. There's great. I, I, I love what I'm going to do this afternoon. I don't know how this started to become a tradition in, in, in our family, but here recently, um, it feels like we all gather at my house after church, um, my children and their families, which, figure that out, it's a pretty big table. I love feasting with the family. Guess what we're going to do in heaven? There you go. We're going to feast with the family. So, uh, some of us, for some of us, it's pets. Um, I, I have not done well with pets. <laughs> All of my pets are buried in the backyard. <laughs> um, but, you know, some of us, are like, like Dale, I was wishing he'd be here today. His bandit, he loves that dog bandit. And he's asked me numerous times, I, I th right after his mom died, his dad died and then his mom died. And uh, I never see a man so attached to his parents and so honoring. He, he did, he, he might have pulled off the fifth commandment or if not pretty close to honor in his folks. I, I never seen anything like him. And he was heartbroken when they died, especially his mom. It's the last one. And it wasn't, I think it was the next day this dog shows up at his house. He names him Bandit. And, and he said, I think, I, I, I think God sent that dog to me. I, and I have no doubt that God did. That dog was a balm to that man's broken heart. Right? And, and Dale's always asked me, you know, is Bandit going to be in heaven? So let me deal with that first one. Will our pets be in the kingdom of heaven. And I want, you, I want you to stop thinking about heaven. You need to think about the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, say it with me. Kingdom of heaven. Kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. Um, and I'm going to deal with that 
soon, maybe even next week, that, that heaven is not some ghostly place where a bunch of ghosts and spirits up there. I think it's a very much a physical place even right now. And it's going to be it's going to continue to be physical in a new heaven and a new earth. But let's talk about that. Jesus Christ himself honors animals. You say he does. Yeah. Jesus is called the what of God. He is also called the what of the tribe of Judah. And when he comes back, he's going to be riding a white what? Horse. Right? So Jesus, even in his titles, he honors animals. And he says he's returning on this white horse in the Noahic covenant. We just went to um, the ark experience. Wasn't that something, Ben? And what even Sam was amazed when we got there. I got a great picture of Sam standing there with the ark in the background. And we were all just blown away, weren't we, Sam, about the size of that vessel? I mean, it is, I think, I think the herds have been there, haven't you? Is it, does it not just, you look at that, it's like, Wow, that's a big ship. It, it really is to see that. But what was the big deal about the Noahic covenant? What did God include? The animals. He includes animals in the Noahic covenant. And even in this covenant in Genesis 9, he, he says, Every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth. So, so God made animals. He got a special place for them. Um, and I think, yes, animals will be in the kingdom of heaven. And I think we can look at that biblically. And if you're in Isaiah chapter 11, look at verses 6 to 8. Here's what it says. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. Y'all seeing some issues there with that right now? And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like an ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Now today, if you let your kids play with a cobra, you are a bad parent, right? But today we have wild animals and domesticated animals, and it... And, and, you know, I forget which poet said it, that, that nature is red and, and tooth and claw, um, as he, he wrote this poem to debase the idea that, that God had a plan for nature. And nature is red and tooth and claw, and there is death. Uh, wild animals today treat smaller animals like the samples at Sam's Club. Uh, this, this verse does not play out today well, does it? Um, but in the kingdom of heaven, our dominion... It's going to be perfected, and it's going to mean that all animals are going to be domesticated. All animals are going to be tame. Uh, I don't know what that's going to look like. Wes, I, I think there might be catch-and-release hunting in heaven. <laughs> uh, and and we'll, we'll be able to play that game with the, with the deer that we hunt here. But what about an, your animals going to heaven? Um, I think there's some options there about animals in the kingdom. I think, first of all... Uh, there could, God could have new animals of the same kind as earth. So, you know, stuff that we're used to in Georgia. The white-tailed deer, um, rabbits, turtles, all those things. Stuff that we know of, same kind as earth. Um, option two is that the exact same animals that we know risen from the earth. And we hope that could be true. I know that's Dale's great desire. Um, extinct animals continued from the earth. Wouldn't that be cool? We could do Jurassic Park in the, in the kingdom. I do think that's, I think that could be very much a reality in the kingdom because God made those animals for a reason, to, for his glory. And then number four is there could be new kinds of animals created for heaven. We do see some interesting descriptions in the book of the Revelation, some of the uh, apocryphal books of scripture, stuff that we don't like things that we know, but not exactly. So I think there could be um, some new animals in heaven. Now, the big question, and I know Dale's question is, you know, but is my pet going to be there? And I think, I think that's a hard, how many of you have pets uh, out there? All right. And, and you hope, you know, wouldn't it be great if they're in heaven with you? So, so what, what pet would you want in heaven with you, mom? Hope the cat, well, I got good news and bad news. Cats aren't going to make it. <laughs> They're just not. There's no way. I mean, I know there's going to be leopards. Big cats, yes. 
Small cats, no. Because, and, and I got a biblical reason, cats are idolaters by nature. They think they are God. I cannot see, especially your cat, Hope, I cannot see your cat, Hope, worshiping anybody but Hope. Hope, Hope always thought she was God. Uh, now, dogs, on the other hand, you know, man's best friend, they're, they're good worshipers. I, I, you know, they're, they're, maybe there's a chance. I don't know. Here's, here's what I do know. I know that God is good. And I used to discount this whole thing. Oh, is my pet going to be in heaven? You know, I ruined poor Frankie's theology at camp. I told you about that last week. <laughs> Heaven's going to be one long church service and no Fluffy's not going to be there. Um, and, it, and I just, I ruined that kid. I felt so bad. And I'm going to tell you, my views have changed. And here's why. Because God is just so good. We don't have a definitive word on what that's going to look like in heaven. But we do know some things. And it's going to be amazing. We know that animals are going to praise God in the kingdom of heaven. Literally, literal animals are going to praise God. You know, and I'm going to tell Dale, bandit may very well be in the worship band in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> you know, because here's what it says. Listen, listen to this. Jot this down. Psalm 148, verses 10 through 13. Listen to this. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. And animals kind of fall into a squishy category because they're not like plants. What's the difference between animals and plants? Emma? Okay, well, that's the question. Does, does, does an animal have a soul? I was thinking more uh, of animals breathe, right? It's, in the Bible, it's called nephish life. We breathe. Animals breathe, and in that sense, we're very much alike. Plants don't. So we don't think of, 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 of a plant as living in the sense of being a sentient being, but we certainly know that animals are. They have breath. Someone, someone wondered, do they have a soul or not? Depends on how you, 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 you define the word soul. Um, they definitely can learn. Uh, they they uh, can be trained. They can even communicate. With, with human beings, and, there, and at some level, there's understanding there. Um, and, and I think God's got a special place, I know from Scripture, for at least animals. I don't know if it's the specific ones, but I think God is, God is so good. Um, and He is so kind, and heaven's going to be so amazing that whether it is or it isn't, we, we are gonna, our focus is going to be on the goodness of God to us. And, don't, and I will say this. This is where I've had to repent and change my thinking. Yeah, I joke around about cats not being in heaven and that. But, but God gives us those animals because God's good, right? And we love them. And there's a reason. And I think in some sense they love us back. It's, it's a, I, know, I know my dad's dog, Max, loved him. Um, and, it was a, and he loves mom now, too. Yeah, he was smart. He shifted over to mom when, when dad went home to be with the Lord, wisely so. <laughs> uh, I think there's something there. I really do. How, how many of you can think of a, of, of a movie about animals that talk? Get, name one. Huh? Mr. Ed, you're, you're, you're dating yourself. What's another one? Dr. Doolittle. Madagascar, that's one of my favorites. I like that little lemur king. He makes me laugh. King Julian cracks me. Everything comes out of his mouth, I'm, I'm laughing. Uh, what is it? The Lion King, that's another one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What about Stuart Little? That was one of my favorites. Uh, Paddington, uh, Bear, Dumbo, Nemo. One of my favorites, The Chronicles of Narnia. And I think C.S. Lewis was onto something. Because think about this with me for a minute. Um, and this is why people poo-poo Genesis' account of creation. Because, come on, Eve's talking to a snake. This is all fantasy. Was it? It didn't seem to be any big deal to Eve, just think about this for a minute, that her and a snake were having a conversation. Do you ever think about that? What other animals did she talk to every day? You ever think about that? I, I, think, I think the animals in the initial creation, at least some of them, were sentient beings in that sense and that they were able to speak and, because it did not shock Eve one bit that this serpent was speaking to her. I think part of the fall was the loss of that. When, when we fell, they fell, right? When Adam fell, all creation fell with him. 
And I just wonder, all these talking movies, they get so many things wrong. But C.S. Lewis said this, that we live in the shadowlands of, of the kingdom that, of, of heaven. What if all that stuff is just a preview? What if it's just a preview of the desire of our hearts in heaven? I think, I think that animals are going to play a role in there that, that might surprise a lot of us theologians today. And if you'll read scripture carefully, you might see some of that in there. Number two, what about partners? Will we be married in the kingdom of heaven? And the interesting and sad thing I find about this is most fellows hope so and most wives hope not. <laughs> Guys, I don't know what that means about us. <laughs> We're not doing a good job. We need to change some things or something. But uh, that's a question. So there's argument four. There's a couple of them, and there's an argument against. Go back there and check it. Is it, is it good? As Linda said. Anyway, uh, argument four, one of, the, one of the bigger arguments for being married in heaven comes from a cult, actually, the, the cult of Mormonism. Anyone familiar with the Mormonistic view of, of, of the kingdom of heaven is, is, is eternal polygamy. And procreation. What that means is, as, as guys, we will eventually get our own planet with numerous wives who will be pregnant for all of eternity. Right? So, it's obvious that some guy thought this up, right? Because the guy gets numerous wives, and what do the wives get? Pregnancy for eternity. This, obviously, some human man thought this up. And, and they're going to they're gonna, uh, multiply and fill their own planet one day obviously we we realize that that is not a biblical they get that nowhere from scripture um now there are some who believe the bible and they make this argument and this is at least from the bible you could determine whether this is biblical or not but here's the basic argument adam was in a, a perfect person in a perfect place with a perfect relationship with god yes hear that and god says everything is good except what he's alone no good and here's the, here's the argument, and, and it's, it's more of an argument from silence, but it is that um, God made marriage to reflect the Trinity, and that's why he makes us one. That's how the two become one. Um, and heaven, the kingdom of heaven, picks up where Genesis 3 left off, right? So this is the idea, that the kingdom of heaven picks up where Genesis 3 left off. Um, before the fall and all the punishment comes in, the perfect Eden, we go back to that and it just continues. Um, so the argument against it would be eternal marriage and procreation or the, or the birthing of children. I mean, think about it. Would, would it not eventually lead to a population issue if, if we just continue to multiply with no, no death? Because there'd be no death in the, in the kingdom of heaven, right? I mean, we could do the Star Trek thing and find new planets to inhabit, but uh, I, I, think, I think we're starting to stretch things when we go there. And, and I think it's a, a misunderstanding of what marriage is at the beginning. And I think that's where we need to go first. And I want you to listen to this. Heaven, in heaven, we will have a relationship with God and others that is perfect and deep enough, listen to me, to meet all of our relational needs. First of all, in heaven, we will have a relationship with God that will be perfect or complete and deep, and it will exceed all of our expectations and our needs. Marriage, what is marriage but a sign pointing to our relationship to God, isn't it? Isn't that what scripture says? Um, Paul says in Ephesians, you know, a, a, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave into his wife. The two will become one. He said, but I speak of Christ and the what? Church. Marriage is a picture, is nothing but a picture of the New Testament church. Uh, it, it is a picture of this relationship with God. Earthly marriage is a shadow, a copy, or an echo of the true and ultimate marriage. Once that ultimate marriage begins at the, the Lamb's wedding feast, listen to this, all human marriages that pointed to it will have served their noble purpose and will be assimilated into the one great marriage they foreshadowed. Doesn't that make sense? You're, have you ever thought about your marriage as serving a noble purpose to foreshadow 
a picture of the perfect union between Christ and his bride. And once we get there, just like Old Testament to New, why are we living in the shadow lands when, when we have the real thing in Christ, right? That's, that's why we don't do Passover. That's why we have communion, because Christ is here. The substance came. We don't have to live in that shadow land anymore. When we get to heaven, we, we leave the shadow land of marriage because it was nothing but a picture, a noble one at that, of, of what the real thing is going to be. And isn't it true the real thing's always better than the pictures? That's kind of like your, your, your grandchild drawing a picture of the family. It's cute, but the family gather looks very different than the picture, right? Same thing with marriage. The purpose of marriage is not to replace heaven, but to prepare us for it. Think about that. Purpose of marriage, of marriage is not to replace heaven, to, but to prepare us for it. So the question is, one of the questions I got is, will we know our spouse in heaven? I think yes. I know there's some people who have this crazy idea that, that we, won't, we won't know anybody in heaven but, but the Lord. I don't see that in Scripture. Um, I, I just do not see that, and there's a number of Scriptures um, that tell us that. But I think we're going to know our spouse, and that that friendship is going to continue, but in a, in a new way, a better way. Romans 7, 2, jot that down, says that a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage, right? So death, what does death do? Death ends marriage, right? So even in that, when, when that spouse dies, that marriage is, you're released from that. And, and that's where we go to Matthew, just jot it down, Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, 23 to 33, that's where the Sadducees got together and tried to trip up Jesus. Because these Sadducees were more political slash religious leaders, they were more concerned about the politics of the nation. And they were willing to use Judaism to gain political power. Not unlike so much of the church today. is using politics, using, using faith as, as an avenue to gain political power. And their big thing was they were very um, um, non-miracle, non-spiritual Everything was natural. So they didn't believe in miracles. And they certainly didn't. Their big thing is they didn't believe in a resurrection. And so this is a setup. So they come to Jesus and they basically create this scenario, this setup. That says, uh, you know, this woman was married a guy. They didn't have any kids. He died. So the brother, the next brother married her, which was the law um, in, in Israel. And he died all the way through seven brothers. They all died. No children. She dies. Whose, whose wife is she going to be because she's been married to all of them in the resurrection? Now, remember, these, these fellows don't believe in the resurrection, do they? No. They're just trying to trap Jesus and make him look stupid. Then look what Jesus says to them. He said, but Jesus answered them, and I like how this version says it, you're wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. You are mistaken. You, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. And here's why they're wrong. He says, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And that was their problem. They thought they knew the scriptures. They didn't. And neither did they understand the power of God. And then he explains to them. Um, he says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And I love this. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Right? So, all of that to say um, that there's no indication that, that angels marry. And here's the deal. All of our relationships are going to be perfected in the kingdom of heaven. Um, I do say, though, there will be marriage in heaven. You said you went through all that and you think there's, yeah. I know for a fact there's going to be one marriage in heaven. And that's the marriage of the bride of Christ and Christ himself. There is going to be marriage, and it's going to be way better than the marriages we have on earth. And we should be striving, married folks today, to make our marriages a noble representation of that great marriage that's coming in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Boy, that's some good stuff. Jesus and his bride. Now, real quick, let me finish this up. And this is a pressing one, and I know, it, I know it's prescient for... 
so many of us in this room. And it's this, will our babies be in the kingdom of heaven? Will our babies be in the kingdom of heaven? Our, some, of them are, some of our babies are pre-born. There's, there's miscarriages. There's abortion, stillborn. Babies that have died in infancy. Um, I read somewhere this week where upward of 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. A lot of those are so early that the woman never knows she's even pregnant, right? But, but upward, that's a, that seems like a lot to me, 20%. And I know a lot of you in this room, I'm looking around the room, have experienced that and have gone through that. Or like my mom have, have lost uh, a child. I, I think Anna was, what, two weeks old, mom? About two weeks old when, when my sister Anna died. And uh, it's one of my earliest memories as a kid, one of those, those early foggy memories. And I, I asked mom about that. I told her some of the stuff I remember. Did I make this up or is that? And she said, no, that's, that's exactly what happened. It was a horrible time. What about those babies? Um, I'm just going to throw this out to you. There's six options. There's, there, there's, there's six ways you can go with this. Number one, all babies are sinners. And they're banished to hell. That's an option. I didn't say it's a good one. Uh, here's the second one. All babies are elect by God and they go to heaven. Number three. God chooses some babies for heaven but not all. Uh, number four. All babies are innocent until they reach something called the age of accountability. Number five. All babies are baptized into a covenant that are baptized into a covenant family go to heaven. And number six, God decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I don't, does anyone see another option in those six? I don't really. Most of us, how many, how many of you would say that you grew up and were taught the age of accountability thing? Right. Yeah, me too. I don't, I don't, I struggle with that. And I know where they, there's a few scriptures where they come up with that. Um, but I, it, it's, I struggle with finding a real hard and fast biblical teaching on that. I really do. I think it makes us feel better. I just don't know if it's 100% accurate. Um, I, I don't believe in number one. I don't believe that all babies go to hell. I just don't. I also don't believe in number two, that all babies are elect by God and go to heaven. I'm just, and I say that, I'm not sure that that's a reality. Um, Number three, God chooses some babies for heaven, not all. I'm not sure about that. All babies are innocent. Number four, the age of accountability. I struggle with that. All babies baptized into a covenant family go to heaven. To me, that's a big hard no. And then number six is the only one I'm truly comfortable with, and that is that God decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Amen? And people say, well, there's this thing called predestination and election, and I don't like it. I don't know, but I love it. I love predestination and election. I love it because God looks down at that little baby that's still in the womb and says, man, I love that kid. I love that baby. And, and it's like, why, why do you love that? That baby hadn't had a chance to prove itself to you. I don't care. I just love that baby. And, 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 and I'm, I'm going to bring that baby home to me. Can we not trust God that, 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 that the creator of all things will do well? We can and we must. Um, and I'm going to give you three reasons for hope from the Bible. Number one is we are sinners from our mother's womb. I know we're not comfortable with that, but it's true. And how many of you ever had a baby? You know that kid's a sinner coming out, man. Woo. What is it that Vody calls them, vipers and diapers? <laughs> if they were big enough, they would kill you for not changing their diaper fast enough or feeding them quick enough. I know that Anna just started feeding little Peter real food and and, and the very first thing she gave him, he was screaming at her, and it was very evident she wasn't feeding him fast enough for his liking. And she, he, was, he was letting you know it, wasn't he, sis? Yeah. Um, the Bible says it. Jot it down. Psalm 51.5. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. That's pretty early, gang. That's pretty early. So we, we all start off on the wrong foot. In the wrong family. Number two, God knows us. Isn't that comforting? And he is intimately involved with us, check this out, from our mother's womb. Isn't that amazing? 
Psalm 139, 13 through 16. You, you made all my delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. Listen to what he says. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. God watched as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was what? Born. God is involved. And by the way, you know what they've discovered since? They look at, they're looking at how, with, with the abilities that they have now to look inside the womb, you know what they found out? These little cells that begin to divide, you got a problem with dividing cells. How, if they're dividing, how are they going to still be connected? That makes sense? There's a problem with cell division in, in the formation of an infant. Shouldn't work. There should be a miscarriage right there. But what they've discovered with the ability to look inside that womb and watch that process, check this out. The cells are literally, this is their word, woven together. Isn't that something? And David gets it right without an electron microscope. Isn't that phenomenal? We are literally woven together in our mother's womb. And here's, here's a third encouragement from God's word. God can and does save people from their mother's womb. Now, this is controversial, but I think I can prove it to you. Psalm 22, 9 through 10. Here's what it says. You are he who took me out of the womb. Look how he says it. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. Pretty strong, isn't it? You could jot down this too. Isaiah 49, 1 through 7. And then Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5. Two more Old Testament examples. And then what about this one in John 1, verse 15? John the baptizer, um, the Bible says, was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Do, do you remember that when, when Mary shows up at Elizabeth's, her cousin Elizabeth's house? And when she greets her, what, what does Elizabeth say? The baby in my womb leapt for joy at your greeting. Something is happening there in that womb. Um, and, and we see that, and here, here's this encouragement. God loves children. He loves babies. And we see that even in the, by the way, did you know in the first century, children were not very well thought of. They, they really weren't. More so in the Jewish community they were than, than in a Roman community. I mean, if your son displeased you in a Roman community, you, you can have him executed. Like, for almost no reason. Sam and Ben, be thankful we're not Romans. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean a, a lot of non-Jewish children did not make it to adulthood. And, and children were, were very much second-class citizens right behind their mothers. Um, but Jesus comes along, and, and it's a little bit different. In Luke 18... 15 through 17, you remember this, that they were bringing the infants, and it's an interesting word there in the Greek, it's brafos, is, is the word, and it literally means little child, but before the age of any kind of understanding. They were bringing these infants to him that he might bless them, and literally it means to touch them. So they weren't just bringing the infants to hear this carpenter from Nazareth speak. They were literally bringing, him, bringing them to him to say, would you put your hand on them? That's what blessing is, by the way. It involves physical touch, words of affirmation, and words of identity and belonging. And if you don't have all those three, you don't have a blessing. Um, what happened? What, what did the disciples do when they saw this going on? I mean, Jesus is in the middle of teaching kingdom stuff. Big, important kingdom of heaven realities. And these kids come up, and the disciples are acting like ushers. And they get up there, and they're, and they're rebuking the mother, saying, get these kids away from the teacher. we got more important things to do here than him messing with kids right now. And what does Jesus say? The Bible says Jesus, depending on where you are, um, Jesus was really unhappy about that. He kind of really, re it says he rebuked the disciples. I mean, he got on them. And he said, you let those kids come to me, and you better not stand in the way. Because you want to know where this kingdom of God that I'm preaching, you, you, you know who it belongs to? Not you, it belongs to them. Well, that's pretty strong words, isn't it? 
For truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, what he was teaching about, like a child shall not enter it. Isn't that something? You don't receive it like a child, you're not getting in. That's what he's saying. And I think there's another encouragement here for those of us. And I know my wife and I have lost a baby uh, to miscarriage. I think a lot. Of, how many of you women in here have, have been down that road or lost an infant or, or even buried a child? See, so many. That's a hard thing. And I know watching my wife experiencing that with her. Um, it was different for me. I have no doubt. And it's much deeper for her. But the amazing thing to me, the thing that was a deep comfort to me, listen to this. God is a father who lost a son. And he understands. He gets it. He gets the hurt. He understands the pain of it. Probably better than I do. And I can trust someone who's been through it. Um, we look at the whole incident. I call it Bathsheba Gate. Of David and Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel 12, you know the story. He commits adultery, has no business way outside the realm of his authority. Does a horrible thing. She gets pregnant. Brings her husband home for obvious reasons. Three-day R&R. You know, and he can go home to his wife. They can celebrate their vows. Everyone's going to think the baby's his. It's all covered up. One problem, Uriah has more integrity than David. And he sleeps on the steps of the palace. And word comes back to David, uh, Uriah's not home. Where is he? Sleeping on your steps. What in the world? And Uriah says, hey, I, I can't go home and enjoy my covenant vows with my wife while my brothers in arms are on the battlefield unable to do that. I've got to honor the men I serve with. So David says, I know what I'll do. I'll get them drunk. Right? Because when you're drunk, you lose your judgment. So he has a feast. Uriah gets tipsy. And even in that state, he has more character drunk than David does sober. Stays on the steps. You know what David? You know what David did. He wrote a death warrant. He put out a hit on Uriah sealed it and gave it to the very man to deliver his own execution notice to his general you just attack the city and then everybody back up and leave Uriah at the wall he's a dead man guy, how ironic is that he delivers his own execution note and he pulls it off Uriah's dead they have a time of mourning David takes Bathsheba as his wife by the way, that's a horrible story. And it'd be fine if it was just a story. That really happened. That happened. I mean, even in our debased, deplorable society today, adultery and murder are still kind of up there, aren't they? <laughs> as far as sins. Adultery and then murder, do you go kill the guy to cover it up? Even in our bad society, we would say, man, that's, that's pretty, pretty raunchy. And so what happens? The baby's born, and he's born sick. And we pick it up there. And the Lord afflicted the child. Listen to how it says that. And the Lord afflicted the child of Uriah's wife. Never calls that baby David's. And the Lord afflicted the child of that Uriah's wife bore to David. Wow. God doesn't forget. And he became sick, this little baby. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child and he fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day, he's been doing this a while, the child died. And the servants were afraid to tell David that the child was dead. And they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How can we then say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. They were worried David was going to harm himself. 
But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? By the way, how'd you like to be one of those servants? And they said, he is dead. And the strangest thing. And David arose from the earth, washed, and he anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. What do you need to do when you lose a baby? You need to get back to God's house and you need to worship God. As much for God as it is for your own heart. And he's still a bad guy. He's still an adulterous murderer. He goes and he stands before God and he worships him anyway. By the way, there's a message in there for you and I. Stop letting your sin keep you from repentance. It's dumb. It continues. I'm almost done with the whole sermon. But he says this. He then, after he worshipped, and it just blows me away. The first thing he does, cleans himself up, and he goes and stands before God and worships him. Then he comes back home. Then he went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Of course he ate. He's hungry. He's been seven days. He hadn't eaten for a week. But this is messing with his servants. They don't understand what's going on. Then his servants said, so they ask him, what is this thing you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you, you arose and, and you ate food. We're confused. What, what's the deal? We, think, we would think that now you'd be broken and sad. And look at his answer. David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether Jehovah will be gracious to me that that child might live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Now listen to these words. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Isn't that something? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I want to say this. Uh, our culture is now hypocritically pro-life like never before. We're so hypocritical. If I hear one more leader stand up who is pro-abortion and say that human life matters and yet unless it's in the womb that is so hypocritical the most unsafe place for human life today is not on the streets of Chicago it's in the womb of a mother and I think this whole and I'm just going to say this carefully we can discuss it later I think this whole idea that you know all it, all babies go to heaven has really led us to an apathy about abortion. That's not okay. That, that does not make it, I, I think it's taken some of the wind out of our sails and the fire out, out of our bones when it comes to abortion. David said, I, I, he'll never come to me again, but I'm going to go to him. And that could just mean David said, I'm going to die and I'll be in the grave and we'll be together. I think David meant something more than that. I worship a father whose child died. And I trust him to deal with me and with my child. I worship a son who died for me. And I believe him for my child that I will yet see. Charles Spurgeon said this, I cannot conceive it possible of him, Jesus, as a loving and tender one, that when, I shall, that, that when he shall sit to judge the nations, he shall put the little ones on the left hand and should banish them forever from his presence. God is good. He is a father who lost a child. The child he lost died in our place. Brothers and sisters, we can trust him for those preborn babies and those babies we've lost. We truly can. So that is the word of the Lord on our partners in heaven, our pets, and our preborn babies and our, our little ones who have gone on before us.
And I know that the, that, that the scriptures speak very plainly to this. And I wish, that, I wish it spoke more plainly in some areas, specifically this last one. I wish God, are anybody with me? That God would have just spelled it out with a chapter and a verse and said, here's a definitive answer, here's what happens. But God has left us to trust him and his sovereign goodness as it relates to the children who beat us to his presence. At the end of the day, here's what matters. I want to say two things, and I, uh, we're going to sing the doxology. Um, I get concerned when we're more concerned about our pets being in heaven than the children that we have produced that are living in sin. Something's wrong with that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we're all perfect and going to point the finger at everybody. We're not, but I'm telling you what, as, as Christian parents, it should break our hearts when our kids are messing up. And we need to go after them. We need to never confirm our children in their sin. But rather, they need to be confronted over their sin. Because heaven's at stake. The blessing of God on their life here and now is at stake. They cannot receive God's blessing and live against His revealed will. I say that to my own children in this room today. You cannot get God's blessing unless you are living according to His will. And it's revealed in here. We taught that talk this morning. We said, you know, there's probably so much sin that we're committing we don't even know about. Yet we're still dealing with the sins that we do. We, we just we need to stop. And we need to, we need to do that. We need to love each other enough to get in each other's face and say, hey, that's not right. Let's not, you can't live like that and name Jesus. You can't. It's not okay. It's not okay to not expand the kingdom of Christ when you leave this place. And that's why we're going we're gonna to attempt to do something where we can... Share the gospel with this community. And we ought to all be excited about that. That's not a have to. You don't got to be involved. You get to be involved. And I'm telling you what, and I've done this a long time. When I'm the most discouraged in ministry, or I'm the most discouraged just in my walk with the Lord, you know what encourages me more than anything? Just go tell somebody about Jesus. Is it true, Jay? Is it the craziest thing in the world? You ever, you know, you're down and, you know, maybe you just had a bad day or you've just done some stupid things and you've done those sins of commission we talked about in class today. Just, I call it a flesh trip. Just stupid, stupid, stupid. You know what gets me back on track quicker than anything? Walk right across the street to my neighbor and share the gospel with Scott. I've gotten to do that several times. Changes everything. Because there's something deep down inside of us, listen to me and I'm done, that is hardwired for the kingdom. And you know where the kingdom of heaven starts? Right here. Right here. And me witnessing to Scott and sharing Jesus with Scott is part of putting all the enemies of Christ under his feet. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. And I'm supposed to be. It's like, oh man, one more thing to do. No, we get to do this. This is a privilege. We get to go on the mission with the king. Amen? Because this, do you understand that this life is nothing but training for the kingdom? We're in it now. And we're training to rule and reign then. This is your practice. This is your boot camp. And we must endure. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today asking for your grace and mercy. Praying, as I did this morning, that there would be good soil. Our hearts would be well tilled and to be able to receive the truth of your word in relation to our partners, our pets, and our preborn and young babies. Um, I thank you that you can be trusted. You, you can be trusted. Um. You are safe. And we can trust the deepest part of our hearts to you. 
knowing that you will handle them well, better than anybody else, certainly better than ourselves. May we look to you and not to others. May we work and labor alongside of you to make our marriages a noble picture of that great marriage that's coming. That we would get a piece of heaven right here on earth. Pray that you would help us to trust you in our losses and in our gains. That we would take your kingdom seriously. Seriously enough to lovingly confront our brothers, our sisters, our children, our family, ourselves, to open ourselves to being confronted. Because sin is what keeps us from your presence and ultimately from your kingdom. May we not rest. May we not rest until we have peace with you. Until your kingdom is sufficiently expanded through our life's effort. And we pass from this world to your presence to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That is our heart's cry. And if it's not, would you change us to make it so? For your glory in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Uh, don't forget next Sunday or, or even at your DLTs that meet here, bring your candy. Uh, for our outreach that's coming up on Saturday, a week from this Saturday. Do, do uh, be a part of that. Bring it. We'll have more information for you as we get closer to that. Um, and don't forget, as you leave this place, expand Christ's kingdom. Amen? That's what we're here to do. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom.